This is The Back Pass, a podcast for sports nerds by sports nerds. This week on The Back Pass Explains, we continue our conversation about succession planning. We dive into why it's so difficult to attain. We'll talk about sporting trends, politics, bad luck, leadership, and other factors involving this very subjective but idiosyncratic topic. Welcome to the Back Pass. I'm Kevin, your host. This week, I'm joined by Ali Shivank. How are we doing? Hello. Sound <laughs> excited there, Shivan. It's like it's like you know more money came into the Chelsea bank account. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> my level of excitements are determined by Fabrizio Romano's heavy goes. So we'll see the future. <laughs> I wish I could live off it. <laughs> just not eat. Just just survive on his here we goes. They, they make my day. <laughs> so last week we spoke about the technical aspects of succession planning. Um, we went through a few different examples. This week I want to focus on the complexities around, I guess, why not, not a lot of clubs are able to achieve this. Like it, it seems, at least from the outside looking in, really obvious. Like if you have leadership, if you have good uh talent and a talent pool that's um, coming through your system so you, you don't have aging talent um, and you can maintain that if you have uh, good coaching if you have these these aspects in place then you should be successful you should be continuously in the top four or top five of that whatever sporting competition why doesn't it work for everybody well, there's a few reasons for it, right? The first one being, ooh, shiny. Antonio Conte, <laughs> Conte comes to the Premier League, shows everyone how to play a three at the back. Boom, every order wants to play a three at the back. What happens to your continuity or succession planning? It goes out the window. Because how do you beat a three at the back system? You play three at the back. Well, what happens to the four two three one? We were practicing or four three threes. Nah, too yeah. bad. And what 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 happens to your you know your left center back your left backs and your right backs who now have to play wing back and suddenly there's a gap in the market. Yeah, but that's not really the complete picture, is it though? Right, like if it was just about making sure you kept up with the style, um, or actually keep keep your style and be consistent with it, then ah uh, like. I'd assume that a team that hasn't changed their style in 20 years would be the most successful team in the competition. But that's not true because normally what you see with teams that um, don't change their style is that eventually it gets past the use-by date and they stop making the, you know, the, the postseason. Mm, but I think that's also staying with the current current trends and moving with the game, but also planning the game is going to move and that you can't have that many of those players. You can't have, you know, 
carry that many strikers for the yeah. longest time. There was, you know, playing a strikerless uh, system. Most teams were. And now everyone wants to play with a striker. It's just, oh, look at that. There's not that many strikers out of the market because not that many strikers are playing in teams. And suddenly we're like, oh, who's a good striker? Who could find one? Hmm. Yeah, that, that reminds me of the Warriors example, right? When they when they went to the grand final with Ivan Cleary, the following year, yeah. they basically just fell off the edge of the earth for all intents and purposes. Yeah, and and that was also like again, is is like some terrible planning. They were, they decided that the way to win, um, because the Panthers that year in two thousand three had won with a big team, was that they were going to bulk up all their older players they were going to bulk up everyone and so everyone got bigger and stronger and like you know big muscly um and carrying extra weight and warriors got run off the park that season and this is a team that had bit that had come first in the league and also uh and also made a grand final and they they finished 14 out of 15 teams the lowest Ooh. in the club's history that's coming off a first place and a sixth place finish and making a good finals run and being a feared team, mm. one of the most feared teams in the competition to mm. almost second second from bottom. That's yeah. a big drop. And that's just because they didn't plan for that. They didn't plan for succession. They didn't plan for their tactics to succeed on, on to the next level. And the game just moved past them. Yeah. Pretty valuable. Pretty valuable um, input there, Ali. The other one that happens quite often is politics and changes to your... Rowan. <laughs> exactly that. Exactly that. By politics, I didn't actually mean geopolitics, but <laughs> the point still holds Actual true. global right? politics. Well, I mean, geopolitics yeah. has an impact on that as well. Um, just look it at, does. Look at it does. Ukraine is just a great example of geopolitics not yeah. working well for the sporting um, teams in that area. No, but well, sometimes it kind of worked out for Brighton. It worked out for Brighton. Oh, yeah, it didn't true. work out for Chelsea. Yeah. So you win some, mm. you lose some. But then again, that's you know sometimes geopolitics just happens to throw a spanner in the works. Um, Brexit will have an impact on quite a lot of succession planning as well because <clears throat> bringing talent in from Europe, from continental Europe, just became harder for most clubs to register players unless they were at a certain level, whereas previously. You could do that. And the other way around is also true. Um, English players or players from the UK moving to continental Europe has had a few issues now. So obviously, you know, sometimes it doesn't quite work out. So do you think, do you think when we talk about politics, it also ties into what's marketable? Like if you're, if you're looking at different parts of an organization, if you have sporting organizations in particular, one side's obviously trying to make sure they make as much money as possible developing the brand. And the other side's making sure they win in the pitch. They align when they're winning because the marketing side's like, okay, well, this is fantastic. We can promote that. But when the team's so-so, getting rid of that persona player, the player that actually you know, influenced marketing, whereas you compare that to the player um, – who's actually providing leadership and, you know, is a proper, you know, valuable asset to the team. Ronaldo. Yeah. <laughs> Ronaldo's a good example. Exactly. Like if you're lucky, you get the Casemiro situation where you have a player who's both marketable and 
you know, extremely valuable to the team. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot of other aspects as well that makes this really hard to attain. So one of the things is we've kind of covered is, is injuries, players ending careers early and, you know, things, you know, or even the, the players you plan to succeed. Uh, certain players are injured or get terrible injuries and that, that causes a vacuum. There's all kinds of scandals, all kinds of uh, media stuff that happens as well. And, you know, part of that also is, you know, Michael Clark was part of that. Um, Australian cricket clearly used Tim Payne and his, his scandals mm-hmm. against him to kind of get him out there. Uh, Steve Smith, again, so Australia's had, you know, a good row, a good hit of uh, scandals that have uh, impacted their succession planning. Even at United, I think um, Mason Greenwood's clearly part of that as well. He his his role in the United team has been heavily impacted because of the scandals that he's been part of. Yeah, and then and then you look at you look at plain old COVID as well, and COVID has mm. you know le- before COVID, uh, Leicester were the model. Leicester were the Brighton. Everyone wanted to be Leicester. Even Brighton probably at some point wanted to be Leicester, <laughs> right? Uh, but then COVID happened. It impacted. Uh, so they, the uh, the owner died. His company um, stopped making as much money. And suddenly they made decisions because they wanted, um, they wanted to be the best club in England or, you know, the fanciest club in England. And so they took a big leap, which COVID disrupted, and suddenly everything fell apart, and down they went. Yeah, COVID actually had a wide ranging range of impact on just about every sporting club out there. How mm. many clubs lost access to finances and whatever? So definitely a big reason why it's hard to have succession planning. Yeah. It's that's interesting because I think some of those clubs, like Leicester, Leicester, Leicester's a great example of a club who doesn't, you know, when when you think about them right now, it doesn't come to mind that oh, this is a great, a well planned club. They had good succession planning, but they did. There was you're right. There's a period of time that was true. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it, you know, maybe this is a question of delaying the inevitable, right? Maybe it's not possible for teams to be successful for, you know, forever. forever and ever. They need to have at some level a down period. Like I know this is true in the NFL. Like there is, there is a, there is a point where, um, you know, if you have, if you have a successful team, there is a point where you can't maintain it forever. Like the team, the the, the league with the salary cap, with all of the restrictions in place. Over time, your roster gets degraded, and you're not able to su- sustain success. And that's what the intention of the league is, right? Everybody needs to spend their time at the bottom. You can't be at the top forever. Yeah, sidetracking a bit, but that's why dynasties are so coveted. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Just look at the Golden State Warriors. Like, I think that's it for them. They're probably not going to win another. Um, NBA championship but boy have they had a run because it's just mm. hard to keep on doing and then how do you replace a Steph Curry or how do you replace a Virat Kohli or how do you replace 
I don't know, like you get the uh, Lionel Messi. It's not hard. It's, it's impossible to replace them. Like how does India find a number three batsman now after Virat Kohli who can perform at that level, who can dictate chases? Well, I mean, they should be able to find a, like, honestly, BCCI should do a better job of being able to develop those players over time. I mean, like, yeah. like we look at Shubman Gill is a great example of a player coming through in the under twenties. Um, yeah. who, and what he's done in the IPL. So yeah, exactly. To back that up. So, yes, but, but politics, politics <laughs> gets in the way of succession planning. Of course it does. Yeah, of course. Um, of course it does. And also primary school kids get in the way of succession planning too. <laughs> yeah. Like Virat Kohli is 34 now. Like you don't have to be a scientist to know that he's only got maybe two or three years left in the tank. And at some stage you have to start resting him and start trying out somebody else at the number three position in white ball yeah. cricket or number four in red ball cricket. In two years they'll they'll discover another they'll unearth another such a Tendulkar and then they're sorted for like the next twenty <laughs> years, right? Like yeah. That's that's the plan. The plan is to find someone in two years who can who can be a generational talent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mathematically, when you're 1.4 billion or however many, it shouldn't be that hard to find generational talent once in 20 years, right? Generational talent should, yeah. <laughs> once generational talent should turn up every couple of years. Yeah, why, why not? Exactly. They do, in, you know, just by numbers in other countries, <laughs> technically, <laughs> if you just look at the pure bats. Well, well I, I also think that, like, the number three position as a batsman, like if you have a number three and you have an opening bowling pair, you're you're going to be successful. You may not win the World Test Championship, but every Test series, every One Day or IPL series is going to be competitive if you have those key positions sorted. I, I think there are certain positions like the spine in the NRL and you know quarterback, 100%. edge tackles, you know skill those particular positions in 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 sports where if you have that. And you have that consistent playing together for long enough, then you will be successful. One hundred percent. I guess that 100%. comes back to talent sources, right? Like you have yeah. to have like India. Like India is like one of the biggest talent sources. It is the biggest talent source from a cricketing perspective. Yeah, you would argue that they have too much talent and too many sources to actually know what to do with them <laughs> that is also true now that is yeah scale is another problem they, they could almost spin off another bcci2 and have that like just just a startup and probably have a better first 11 than than the other one <laughs> just by picking everyone else left over right well, if Brentford can have Brentford B, why can't have India B? Yeah, but that doesn't really. I, I, uh, yeah, okay. But wh- why hasn't India been able to produce consistently great fast bowlers? Like you can, uh, you can make that argument that okay, well they're not they they're not as successful with their batsmen, but they still have maybe I don't know five or six over a period of twenty years top ten batsmen in their team floating through and through, right? I think the problem with India is that they just don't like the word fast. 
So they'd be just trained bowlers and they don't just, just like, just let's not talk about fast. Like <laughs> you don't need to be fast to be bowler. Just be bowler. You know, let's keep it simple, guys. Uh, uh, that's that's kind of part of the mentality as well, is to take the fast out of any kind of fast bowler. It comes back to politics and alignment, right? The best period of fast bowling the Indian cricket team saw was when Kohli was the co- uh, captain and Shastri was the coach. And these guys sold a philosophy to everyone up and down the BCCI org chart that basically said, if you want to win a test series overseas and be the best team, a, you need to prioritize test cricket and you need fast bowlers. And it's only then that we started seeing fast bowlers. Now, if people stop buying into the philosophy because of whatever reason or if the coach changes or if the captain changes and you don't have continuity, then off goes your philosophy on bringing in elite fast bowlers yeah. through the ranks and prioritizing their development. And what you also then get is the T20 question of like, well, you know, the bowlers are literally just cannon fodder anyway. Why are we spending, you know, so much time and effort on good bowlers when we can just have better batsmen and score more runs? And we just outscore everyone. So let's put more money there or more funding or more kind of more of our skill set and effort there. That's true. I mean, franchise cricket has had a huge impact. um, T20 cricket, sorry, has had a huge impact on well, I mean, that's also affected test cricket in the batting side. Like, if you look at the team that they've just picked after losing the World Test um, Championship, I don't see that. It looks like they picked players from the IPL, not players from, <laughs> you know, Ranji Trophy. It's, it's. Yeah, good, good succession planning there in the test team. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that's like a clash of okay. Well, we need to get the play. Like nobody actually watches the Ranji Trophy. Let's be honest. Um, it's okay. it's not it's not on you know ZTV. It, actually, is it on ZTV? It might be on ZTV. <laughs> <laughs> Checks notes quickly. <laughs> um, but like it's it's not publicly available. It's not going to be on you know Kayo in Australia, for instance. Um, yeah. But IPL is. So I guess like, I mean, it's like the, like the punt factor that like we saw punt playing IPL before he, you know, played test cricket. And even though what he did in test cricket is probably what made him, you know, uh, like a considered a superstar player. The, the fact that you, we haven't actually heard of him prior to that point, it, if he was playing the Ranji Trophy, like I mean, there's like hundreds of batsmen that play in the Ranji Trophy that have never, never actually played for India. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And again, they have they have too big a pool to pick from. So why would you pick from there when you can pick from the more flashier IPL, which everyone watches and everyone has an opinion on? <laughs> you use flashier, I say marketable. <laughs> <laughs> same, same. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say that you know, like you know, talk about talent sources as well, and yeah, you know, there's other other codes, and you know, we talk about football. The clubs have all kinds of scouting net- networks now spread out, like footballing schools. You know, constantly searching, and then kind of sucking up any kind of um, any kind of player they can get their hands on. Uh, I I was listening to a comment from Nikki Butt recently. 
where he said nowadays clubs, uh, football clubs would not even risk not signing a 13-year-old if they could kick a ball. Basically, if you can kick a ball, get in the academy, we'll work out in two, three years if you're any good and then and then let you go if that's that's not working. But first things first is like we need them, we need to have basically this massive talent source and then work out who's not good and who's better. Uh, where Nicky Butt said on his in his day when he was younger, he didn't play, he didn't join the United Academy and stuff until he was much older. But that meant that he had, you know, spent a bit more time just doing normal, cl- normal like, you know, club football, not associated to a major club, and do that kind of at a lower level kind of actually improve his skills and work out what he is as a player and then get signed and basically had to work his socks off to try to get signed by Manchester United. Now almost everyone gets it too easy and, you know, he's complaining about that. So it almost takes away that, you know, that aspect of like, oh, wow, I've actually been, I've been signed to an academy at a prestigious club. Whereas like everyone gets signed to a club now. It's, it's just, you know, it's almost not even prestigious to be a, to a youth development player. <laughs> so it's almost easier to now sign a player and then release him after on rather than miss yeah. out on a potential Ballon yeah. d'Or winner. Yeah. Yeah, you use, your youth talent is your competitive advantage. I, I think that's true for basically all sports. Yeah. Like, like you think, look at, just translate that over to the NRL. What's the biggest difference between Penrith, who's won the comp last two years and every other team? Their talent source, right? Big catchment. Yeah, they've got a huge catchment. But not only that, they developed it. On the flip side, and on the flip side, you have the New Zealand Warriors who have, you know, an entire country to try to feed into the one club and they can't quite get that. They haven't got it right. And other clubs have been poaching their talent yeah uh joey manu jerome hughes even though jerome hughes is a you know a late bloomer could you imagine him playing yeah like he should have been playing for rts rts is a great example yeah Yeah. Uh, yeah, rts was there's lots yeah he he was developed by the roosters like the roosters are a good example of a team that doesn't have a huge catchment but they do develop young players and they're able to develop young players quickly because they don't get the players when they're, you know, when they're as young as when they're in the Penrith system. They come through, you know, the junior grades and then they go into the rooster system and then from the rooster system they're developed into roosters players. And that all happens within like a three, four-year period. So being that's their that's their competitive advantage. That's how they were successful for such a long time. And it's not just in their talent development; it's also in their coaching. Think about Trent Robinson. He's um, you know, he went and uh, was coaching in England. Mm. He was brought back across from England because he was successful there, um, and he fit the Rooster system, and he could speak to the players. So. It, it's it's one of those it's one of those things like it's not just like catchment area size or anything like that it's it's how you do those things and what makes you different from all the other teams in the competition yeah 
and it, it always seems like the roosters have like an ongoing kind of like list of these young young talented players ready to come up and ready to step in to the first team even though some of them you know are a bit earlier than expected you know you think about a couple of years ago when um now I'm forgetting the halfback's name had like a season ending injury uh, they had how many injuries and then they just kept they kept just picking another next young player next young player you know Sam Walker came up through that and now he's kind of gone back to reserve grade picked up an injury but you know he's he hadn't finished developing but he had like a breakout first year out of that yeah the the Shane Flanagan Sam was it Kyle Flanagan I think he was the the guy that was in between um Sam Walker and uh Cooper Cronk from memory um like they, they were able to address like Robinson, Trent Robinson was able to address pretty quickly that this player is, you know, not going to fit our system and he shipped them off. And I, I think mm-hmm. the same thing could happen to Sam Walker if he's not able to change his style. He's sort of yep. like the Roosters are very good at sort of picking out players that won't have longevity and won't be able to develop the game, um, especially when they come to yep. the junior leagues. So yeah, that's, that's definitely something that. Um, you know, like as a like watching Newcastle and watching the Warriors, sometimes we like teams stay on players for too long. Um, yeah. if they're not able yeah. to evolve, yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. it's always that fear of uh, if we let this player go, he's gonna you know bring the house down at another club and be a yeah. uh, be a record breaker or you know be a, be a phenom. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes. Sometimes you may have a continuity plan in place, but it just doesn't materialize. For example, um, Sir Alex Ferguson considered David David Moyes to be his successor. Uh, Gets appointed (laughs) by United, gets offered a pretty long-term contract. I think it was six or seven years or something. I can't remember now. No, no, no. It wasn't that long. It's it's like five years. It's not like a Chelsea contract. (laughs) I've got to look that up. <laughs> Pretty sure it was seven years or something, but anyway, that doesn't matter a whole lot. Um, yeah, sorry, it was a six-year contract, not a seven-year. So you know, you guys were doing it much before we were. But anyway, turns out, um, <laughs> Man United is too big a club for David Moyes. He's been really successful at Everton by Everton standards, but United is not Everton and. Look, I'll be honest, United will never be Everton. They operate in a different league altogether. And yeah, turns out it's just too big for him. And so sometimes it doesn't work out. He he basically goes through an, an existent, ah, existential crisis for a few years, ends up at West Ham, seems to be, you know, the level he's good at. And guess yeah. what? London now has two European Cup winners. <laughs> you're talking. You're talking in a roundabout way, Shivank, about a, a very, very, very interesting topic. Like, yeah, like I, I, w- I wanted to subtly introduce the topic by saying, look, sometimes you may have succession planning and, and continuity in place. It doesn't actually work out. You just make a bad call. Yeah. So this, and you accept that. Or like how everyone else, when Sir Alex Ferguson said David Moyes was like, 
they said, this guy really like are you sure like and you want to just double check maybe maybe just talk to a few other people <laughs> it's like yeah yeah this guy i i was actually thinking from more from the chelsea perspective and this is kind of like a justification for graham potter it's like you knew within it was like seven weeks that graham potter had reached his ceiling at chelsea that's, that's yeah. basically what you're saying right <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Graham Potter is a much more recent example, but not many people listening to this podcast are Chelsea fans, so it's hard to resonate with. And so I went with something <laughs> that's easier to resonate with. But Graham Potter is the exact same thing. Like you may have a plan, you might act on it, but yeah, it turns out it wasn't meant to be. Mm. Uh, yeah. So th- I think that was the argument with Oli Gunnar as well, was that, you know, that everyone from the very start was like, well, you know, what's the point of United hiring Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because he's never going to win United the league. And, you know, good manager, bad manager, it's just that was that was the bottom line was that he's not a league winning manager to want to get on top of Klopp and Pep um, over a season. And there's not a lot of, lot of those managers around. So, you know, is that really a reason not to hire someone? Oh. Or is that really indicative of a ceiling. Mm. I, I don't I actually don't think there is I think there are coaching ceilings, but I'm not sure it's so, as sure. as prevalent as as we think it is. Like I like the obvious example is Ivan Cleary. Ivan Cleary went to a grand final. He's never actually played in a grand final. Or sorry, he's never actually won a grand final. He, no he's never he's won never a won a grand final. As a player. Um as a player. Um he's lost one and then he loses the second. And so the inherent thought process there is that, you know, this is a guy that's been let go from the Warriors, um, moved on from, from Penrith. Yeah. From Penrith, um, moved on to the Tigers and then came back to Penrith, made it to a final, but lost. I thought that would be like the nail in the coffin, but then since then he's won two premierships. So, I think it's a combination of things. I think the argument for saying that Graham Potter, um, if we go with the Graham Potter example, or Ollie, could not win a title is probably something you would learn pretty quickly based on, you know, training techniques, yeah. strategic like strategic things that that you pick up, right? Um I don't know if you can do that in seven weeks though. <laughs> That's still a very short period of time to be able to make a judgment call on a coach. You'd have, you'd have thought that the nail in Ivan Clary's coaching career would have been the fact that he has Warriors and Tigers on his <laughs> coaching resume. <laughs> it's not a not, not one to be proud of. But now he's you know he's he's a two time back to back back to back winner. So you know now he's now all that all of that is disregarded. He is he's a champion mm. now. If it if it hadn't worked out for him at Penrith, like I don't know if if we would be talking about Ivan Perry in that way or if he, yeah. Kevin, to your point, I can't speak too much about Ivan Cleary as you guys can, but there's also conflicting priorities. Like Graham Porter may be the guy, or David Moyes might be the guy who takes you to the promised land in five years, but does the marketing and business side allow for five years of no success or, you know, being mid-table or something. That's the other thing. Like, can you actually make do with without five years of Champions League football or the 
additional marketing opportunities Champions League football brings to you. That's the other thing. So maybe Graham Porter was the guy. Maybe given give him three or five windows, mm. the clear out happens. You you buy players that fit into his mold. <laughs> yeah, I am talking about buying. I know. <laughs> I mean, in his first window, they bought so many players. I, I don't know if anyone thought those those fit but, those players fit Graham Potter's mold. They were so bought. That, that was kind of the writing on the wall. Yeah, but they were bought before he actually became the coach. He became the coach in September. After yeah, the yeah, but the show. ones in January, like the players he bought in Jan. Yeah, I have no idea how much input he had into any of them. But look, things happen, and so. Yeah, that is un- the unfortunate reality of things. Like you may feel somebody's the guy with the right ceiling, or he has the right, yeah. or she has the right tactical ceiling to take you where you want to be. But mm. it's a slow path that you may not want to be on. Yeah, and so you shortcut and it with the Jose Mourinho. I, I just want to. I just want to reiterate: David Moyes was never the right guy even if they gave it four or five years he was never the right guy look i was one of those guys i'm like oh i can see that i can see why david moyes would be alex's pick like in terms of how he approaches his players or what what, like the mentality side of things he was just never the right tactician for manchester united he just never was and he would never have become that so yeah just want to set that clear he also rejected the chance to sign a very young Thiago who <laughs> would have spent a good part of a decade running the midfield in the Premier League. Yeah. And how in he, Thiago was desperate to join Manchester United to the point he was texting Manchester United players saying, hey, can you go talk to David Moyes because I really want to join the club. And he didn't sign him. Like, seriously. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I, Because he wanted I, Fellaini instead. Yeah, he wanted. We got Fellaini instead, yeah. and you know Fellaini's Fellaini. Like that, that was a he was a champion player for us. Like, yeah, I, what a tactic! Like, yeah, I, I, we can we can we can go on about this for ages. I, ultimately, in my head, I see it as um, Fergie essentially playing four D chess with the rest of the world by selecting <laughs> somebody who he knows is going to be not like horrendous, but be mediocre for a consistent period of time to make himself look so much more amazing, which is what exactly like that's, that's what happened right after it was like, Jesus Christ, I wish we had Fergie back. Can we get Fergie? That first two years it was, it was like, could we get Fergie back? Is it possible to get Fergie back? Um, yeah, but uh, definitely makes Ferguson's achievements look so much, so much greater. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, I think we sort of reached it, right? Like, We've kind of answered the question. It's it's because I think the reason, the fundamental reason why it's so difficult to um, attain this kind of succession over a con- consistently long period of time, you have two completely different parts of sporting organizations that conflict with each other, right? You've got the 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 outside, which is trying to make money, and then you've got the the inside, which is trying to win. And because they're they're trying to do these things, sometimes you have either the team um, and the marketing side wanting the team to win right now, even though winning right now means that you may not win next year and the year after, or be able to win the title next year and the year after. Like there's there is these competing factors that make it impossible for 
for this to happen. And Mike Shivank so correctly mentioned previously, this is the reason why dynasties are so much like loved. They're they're, they're basically watching something unbelievable happen. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Thanks to our panel for their thoughts and opinions on this topic. If you want to get sports nerdy with the team, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the Backpass Pod. We'll be back next week with more sports analysis and banter right here on the Backpass. Pass.